0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Jeff and Andy were two ordinary guys who were fed up with overpriced razors and started Harry's to fix shaving. Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. By taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's Trial Set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, rich lavering shave gel, and travel blade cover. Get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your Trial Set for just £3.95. Support the podcast and go and get your Trial Set delivered to you today, which of course includes a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, Foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. That's right, you can get all that by going to simply www.hurries.com forward slash Spurs. Right now, that's hurries.com forward slash Spurs. Young Batonga with a thumping
0: volley. He wakes right at the last. Vanilla! Scared in by Old Avero and he saved it. Hugo Larisse. The Tottenham captain delivers what his team really needed him. Ericsson, dipping brilliant! That is absolutely stunning from Christian Ericsson! Gabriele to finish Arsenal off! Oh, no son, and it's oh. in! Oh, he's scored! Young Nimson! Oh. From Sla-Tio and David Luiz. Oh, that's outstanding! jung Nimson! He gets it back to double A! How's that for making your mark on your debut? And since the days of Huddle RD and maybe the best of all time wraps it up for Tottenham. outstanding performance from Lucas Moura it's another Derby Day De goal for Harry Kane at Tottenham come up the hour come up the man for Tottenham It's Lucas Moura oh they've done it I cannot believe it Tottenham
1: Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're all keeping safe and well. We are back for show number one of the week. We've got three coming your way. Busy, busy week for Tottenham Hotspur. And delighted to say we're starting off with a win. Wasn't the prettiest. Pretty much, some will probably say it was ugly. But there was plenty of fight in there, quite literally. And I'm delighted to have a top panel joining me to look back on the win against Everton. So, first up... He doesn't really need the introduction. Back on this show, delighted to have John along with from Lily White Rose. John, how are you?
2: Hello, Ricky, mate. Yeah, I've just woken up from last night's game. Uh, it, was a, it was a snooze <laughs> fest, if I'm being honest with you boys. Um, but, you know, look, it was a win. It was a clean sheet. We've not had many of them. So sometimes you've got to be grateful for the small things in life. But it was very, very boring, Ricky. But I'm doing well. I hope our listeners are also doing well. And as things return to normality, um, I hope everyone is, is safe and well. And, um, and, yeah, look, it's good to have football back.
1: Yeah, you've kind of answered already, John, half the listener questions, which wasn't ideal, but there you go, <laughs> in, the space, <laughs> in the space of a second. So, alongside, John, we're pleased to have two debutants on the last word on Spurs. First up, we've got football coach. Delighted to have him on the show. Harry Brooks joins us. Harry, how are you?
3: I'm really good, thank you, mate. How are you?
1: Yes, not bad, not bad at all. Harry, I said to you off air that every time I read your tweets, I keep on nodding. So, I thought, I've got to get this guy on. The so really pleased <laughs> you're here, mate.
3: I think you're one of a few, mate. Not too many yeah, seems to agree with me. I seem to be getting quite a lot of stick recently, so there you go. I well, appreciate that.
1: Mate, you know Twitter. It's one of those platforms where whatever you say, really, you'll never win. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. The, the beauty of social media is there for all to see. And joining our top class panel, pleased to have on also media and comms advisor. Used to work for the government, so with, with Spurs at the moment, we seem to always be trying to shift the agenda. Pleased to welcome onto the show, Leon Emerali joins us. Leon, how are you? I'm well, Ricky, mate.
4: It's uh, yeah, three points is three
1: points, whatever
4: way they come. So uh, I'm, I'm glad we're we're uh, making my debut on on a win.
1: Yeah, I jokingly said to you, didn't I, Leon, off air at the moment? You know, to come on and make your debut on a show on the back of a win for Spurs, it's quite a rare thing. So, um, I mean, you can enjoy that <laughs> at least. <laughs>
4: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Hopefully I'm a lucky omen. you have to have me back on later on once, uh, once we get to the crunch point in the season.
1: Oh, fingers crossed. I'm pleased to have you here. Well, we are reflecting on a win for Spurs. Plenty of fires I mentioned quite literally. John, we'll start with you then. You kind of gave us an insight into what you thought of that game. But Sheffield United disaster aside, that is now two clean sheets out of four for Spurs since the resumption of the Premier League after only managing four shutouts all season prior to lockdown. Not pretty but it could be an important three points. How did you see the game overall, John?
2: You said it could be an important three points. For me now, unfortunately, and, you know, I've been on the show many times and you can normally rely on one of me, Lee McQueen, Jamie, to be very positive and and uplifted. But that Sheffield United game, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, it really did kill my hope and optimism for this season. To me, that was our cup final. We had to go up there. We had to not only get the three points on the board, but also sort of end their season. You know, they've done so well, but uh, post-lockdown, they've been poor. Um, and you know, and I was just so disheartened with that performance last Thursday. I'm really struggling to find motivation for the remaining games of the season now. I'm looking at the teams in front of us, the likes of Wolves, Manchester United, Chelsea, Leicester. They're not really stopping. You know, they're continuously grinding out uh, good results and three points. So unfortunately for me, now the season has come down to just finishing above Arsenal. And you know, that, that that's not what we set out to do at the beginning of the year. Look, I always love finishing above them, uh, and this would be the fifth year in a row. So hopefully we, we can go on and do that. But unfortunately, last Thursday's game really did drain me um, and my morale for the season ahead. And it made me question a few things at the club. You know, I, I look further at sort of maybe the recruitment last summer, um, you know, 130, 40 million was spent. And, and maybe some questions need to be asked of people like Steve Hitchin. I put a, a tweet out last week whereby I you know, broke down the, the minutes these players have played. And they've really not played many games. It's been very disappointing. Uh, Obviously, the Celso has come into the team massively since around December, November time and started to play. But the other three signings, I think they were all good players. um, But it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason. And you look at other clubs, the likes of Manchester United bringing in a a Bruno Fernandes, and he's had an instant impact as a real leader, galvanising the team. And, And it's made, you know, when you sign those players that make other players play better, that is a very good bit of business. And I've just been you know, it's maybe question a lot last Thursday's result. But looking at last night, look, it's always good to get to get a win in the Premier League, to get a clean sheet. Uh confidence-wise I thought it was very good for the defence. Um, you know, three of the back four were the same. Obviously Toby came in last night. It was good to see him back. He had a bit of uh sort of leadership and solidarity at the back. So I was really pleased for him. And I thought there were some really good performances last night. But but the game as a whole was very, very dull and it brought me back to the days of watching Spurs under A V B. Uh, I was thinking of these 1-0 wins over Swansea and Hull with Soldado penalties. And, you know, I don't want to be back at those times. I've loved the football under Maurizio and I've, you know, enjoyed the last five years supporting Tottenham. I've never been prouder, you know, going out, wearing my Tottenham shirt, dressing my kids up in the Tottenham stuff, you know. And, and now it feels very lethargic, but I'm going to look at it positively now. Everton are actually quite a good side, in my opinion, normally. You know, the front two, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin are very good players, in my opinion. Uh but last night they did nothing. Was that because Everton didn't turn up and they were poor? Or was that because we defended well? Well, that's something we're going to discuss over the next hour or so. Um, you know, you look at Gilfie Sigerson, terrible last night. Alex Iwobi, 45 million, hooked at half-time. So Everton were very, very poor last night. And was that Tottenham playing well or a, a poor, poor Everton side? You know, for me, I think Everton were just particularly poor. Um, so it wasn't the best performance from Tottenham. But it is a win. It does put us up to eighth. We're now one point behind Arsenal before they play tonight and four points behind Wolves. Um, but disappointingly, you know, I don't think we're going to finish in the top six now. That's something we've done for the past decade. Mm. You know, that's a significant period of time to suddenly not do it, having you know been in the Champions League final last year. There has been mitigating circumstances this year. Bang the drum about that multiple times. You know, the injuries you just cannot plan for. But this season will go down as a massive disappointment. And I think some of it, has to come down to some of the decisions the manager is making. You know, for instance, continuously starting Lucas Mora, who's had no goal and one assist since December 2019 in the league, you know, instead of Bergwin, that is just bonkers to me. You know, Stephen Bergwin has played three or four home games. Everyone he's started, he's scored. He looks powerful, he looks quick, he's got an eye for goal. And to continuously pick favorites over the greater good for the team, I find that quite worrying. Um, but positively You know, it was good to see Winks come back in last night. I thought he had a decent game. And Harry Kane, I've seen a bit of criticism on Twitter, but actually, it sounds strange to say this, but defensively, he was absolutely superb. I mean, that last 10 minutes when Everton was starting to finally put a bit of pressure on, when young Anthony Gordon came on, who's a great player, by the way. um, Kane was winning a lot of headers from corners, first man, a bit of power and leadership. And we really needed that to see us through the game. So overall, you know, it was a win. But for me, the season is finished now. Mm. I
1: mean, John... L Anderson agrees with you. L says, what a dull game, but a win and a clean sheet. And he also says, let's just make sure we finish above Arsenal this season. That is his priority as well. Now, want to come round to you, Harry. Some will feel that was a dreadful game, which felt every bit like a late-season mid-table clash, but still, as the most important thing for all of us was winning, and Spurs certainly did that, and it put Thursday's game behind them against Sheffield United. How did you see that game and performance against Everton?
3: To be honest, I think people underestimate how difficult it is to win football games. Um, you know, Everton came into this game in quite good form and Spurs came off the back of, it wasn't a hiding, but it was a bit disastrous game in the end, obviously, versus Sheffield United. I actually thought that versus Sheffield United, Spurs played pretty well for at least the first half. Then the second half, obviously, we all know how that went. Um, so the game after it's about how quickly can you get it out of your system? And fair play to them. They were organised, they were disciplined, and they ground it out. And sometimes you do have to do this. I, I understand that. Fans constantly want to see free-flowing football, but there are so many tangibles that go into the makings of a successful side, a successful performance. um, And it isn't always as simple as playing the football you want to see. And the most important thing for Mourinho and Tottenham was, could they stick it out? Could they remain disciplined throughout? And could they get the win? And, you know, I think the narrative is quite a big thing nowadays. You know, it's Put it this way, if that performance happened under Pochettino, I think people would say, well, that's great. He's also showed he could do that part of the game and that, win it that way. Um, when it's Mourinho winning that game, the narrative is, um, I was boring Mourinho, it's dinosaur football. Um, but, you know, you need to look at who Everton are. Everton are a massive threat. They've got two fantastic strikers. they played a very aggressive, intense team. And Spurs completely nullified their threat. You can look at that and say Everton had an off day. Um, and you can also look at that and say Spurs did well. Um, it's it has to be a mix of the two. You know, if Spurs were completely open, if Spurs weren't focused, then Everton would have obviously created more. Um, but obviously, Everton themselves didn't pose too many problems. So, for me, I think that you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of narrative involved when assessing football, and I don't think it's always fair. Um, so I think it was a good win, and that's what matters.
0: You're
1: giving a firm defence here of Jose Mourinho, where there is some kind of questions that we've got here. Like, for example, Jason at Fraggle29, who says, who seriously believes Jose Mourinho is the right man for the job? Nuff Nonsense says, I couldn't even be bothered watching the game, and I'm glad I didn't. When are we going to get rid of Mourinho? How many feels the same? Jules Taylor says, what would you recommend to help stand awake during a Jose Mourinho Spurs performance? What can he do? do you think Harry to change fans perception or is it a case that with some fans you're just never gonna win them around
3: if I've been completely honest I think that some fans will never win around and they'll use the first excuse to get at him which I guess that's part of being a fan isn't it but you know I do sort of like I do, I do scratch my head sometimes at um the way it's or sort of, the way he's described I mean this is a this is a serial winner and you know people say that he's he's been past it for ages well There hasn't been a a single club that he's actually failed at. He had failures at Man United, his last job, but he still won trophies. He still finished second um, with a squad that really shouldn't have finished second. And I guess it's, I think there's a thing nowadays of people like football to be played in a certain way. They look at, say, teams like Manchester City, and it's very, um, it's a lot of pattern play, set routines, um, almost, for me, very regimented, very robotic. And unless managers adhere to that kind of style nowadays, they're seen as outdated, um, I think I've seen a lot of occasions under Mourinho when for me, I think the football has been very enjoyable. I've seen freedom. I've seen creativity. I've seen one touch combination plays. I've seen a uh, variety and attack. I've seen when we've been aggressive and vertical quickly. Um, and a lot of mixture, um, the issue for me with the current team is that I think that it's okay to give freedom to your attacking players as long as there's a base structure. So if you look at Mourinho's sides, that's kind of when uh, that's how they thrive or, you know, um, it's when they give the freedom to their attacking players, um, which is great if you have players that are able to interpret situations and have the intelligence to combine with each other. I think that the issue can be is that let's say you have players like Son, who's a fantastic footballer, and Lucas Moura, who's also a fantastic footballer in their own rights, that, those are players that perhaps need a bit more structure. They don't really flourish when they're given the um, the, the chance to be free and to think on their own two feet. Um, they prefer sort of like when a decision's made for them. So I think that's why you're seeing a lot of moves break down. But when I've seen a lot of occasions when, for example, LaSalle, Soi, Harry Kane, they're involved in lovely rotations, movements off the ball, one-touch combinations that ends up opening teams up. Um, so I actually don't think the football under Mourinho is boring in a traditional sense, but... Even if it was perhaps a bit, you know, what people would call boring, um, there's more than one way to play football. There's no single one right way to play football. Uh, And for me, football would be very boring if everybody tried to play the same way. And um, so, no, I think he gets a lot of undeserved criticism. It's also very, very difficult to, um, you know, build a structure of a team when before lockdown, I mean, it seemed to be that there was a key player getting injured every other week. How can you possibly build a side and build a system when a key component is getting injured every other week? Um, And I think people ignore that there are so many tangibles to building a side um, and building a successful team and and winning football games. It's not as easy as people uh, make out. So, no, I think it gets a lot of unfair criticism, uh, but I guess that's, that's part of football, isn't it? It's having an opinion.
1: It is indeed, and we've had a lot of opinions come in before we bring Leon in. Richard Carswell says, one pace, slow, 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 no intensity, no pressing, a shadow of the team a couple of years ago. David Lynch says, that was dire, but we won. I'm happy not many of the younger Spurs supporters will understand this. Jay Reid says, was this the worst win you've ever seen? Well, Leon, easy way to make your debut. Follow it up. Tell us what you made of that performance against Everton. How did you see it?
4: Well, you know what, Ricky, I think after the game against Sheffield United, we just had to win. Whether we won, you know, in the way we did or whether we won playing beautiful free-flowing football, we had to win um, because it, was, it would have been a nightmare to end the season, in, you know, with that defeat of Sheffield United and go into a spiral of terrible results, um, which could have easily happened. So I'm glad we got, we got the victory. I actually agree with Harry. You know, I think um, at times I've seen... The, the, the team played good football. You know, nice one-touch stuff, good little interplay between some of the midfield and into a, transition into attack. We didn't see much of it last night, granted, um, although I thought we started fairly brightly. I think we looked we looked up for it. We looked a lot sharper. We had a bit more of intensity about us in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes, I thought. Um, a little bit disappointing to see. We looked sort of most threatening with, with the, the classic diagonal from of Ireland and then from, from Dyer trying it as well, um, quite comically at one point. I think he just got it way off and it went, went miles out. Um, but, you know, that's what we, we reverted to after the sort of first 10, 15 minutes. And look, we got, we got a victory. Um, I, I'm not buying that, that Jose only plays one certain way. I think if he's got the players available to him, he will play uh, attacking football. The, the teams he's fielded have been attack-minded teams in terms of the personnel involved. Um, but he needs to he needs to have a full season under his belt. We can't judge him on on where he is now. It does feel a little bit like he's the caretaker until he gets to the point of where he's got his full season um, to himself, where he can be judged and where he can be criticised and praised. So, yeah, you know, please, please with the win. I'm glad we, we, we got that. It wasn't pretty. It was very ugly. Um, but we're in the game of football. It's a results game. We aren't Real Madrid. You know, we aren't at that stage where we can demand to win games and demand to play games. Good football, as much as we all, all like to see it, as much as the heritage of the club uh, says that's what we're that's what we're used to. You know, this is this we've got to be realistic. We're we're in a tough season. We're in a poor season, if we're being frank. Uh, and you know, a win's a win, and I'm happy to get three points and to uh, hopefully build on that going into Bournemouth and Arsenal.
1: Leon, question for you before I come back round to John. B Ray Handel says had to rely on an own goal to get past a below par Everton side. All the supposed attacking power we have. And yet we only managed two shots on target. How would you respond to that, Leon?
4: Yeah, there was a bit of a question mark about about uh, you know the attacking intent of the team. Um, Harry Winks is a player who you know I think most Spurs fans have got a soft spot for him. But when I was watching him last night, I'm just thinking, what's he adding to to to, to the team in terms of attacking intent? He didn't play. Enough forward balls, I know that's a criticism of him that's that's not new. Um, but there, you know, he, he wasn't he wasn't sharp enough. He wasn't sort of looking ahead enough. And I thought that was an area where we perhaps could have could have had a bit more drive. And there's an obvious man on the bench in in, in, in Don who could could fill that void. Um, we could have had more more uh, shots on target. I thought I thought Son was was a bit quiet. I thought he was taking a t- taking. Um, Taking too long, really, just to get his shots away when the ball came to him. He's taken one touch too many on a lot of occasions. So fair criticism. I agree with that. Um, there, there, there's there's lots of reasons why that may have been the case, but we, we kept it. We kept uh, a one goal lead. It's not often that Spurs do yeah. that. So we've got to be thankful and, uh, and move forward from there.
1: You're spot on. You're right, we don't keep many clean sheets. But obviously we've now had two in the last four games as I mentioned at the start of the show, so hopefully it's promising. And talking about the defensive shutout, John gonna come back round to you again. At the moment it does feel like when Spurs release that team line up on Twitter, there's always a meltdown in terms of who's playing, who isn't starting. But it looks like we are gonna see maybe this partnership at the back for Alderweire and Daira the last couple of games. Munio did confirm interestingly. The- no injury for Ryan sessing And he gave a big up to Dennis Serkin. Obviously, you know very well in terms of the youth. He said, I like Dennis so much. He works very, very hard. So we might see him. But again, I think what caught the eye, John, was obviously Alderweireld returning to the heart of the defence. Harry Wink's coming back into the midfield. But again, club record signing, Tungi Ndombele, having to settle on the, the bench for a fourth consecutive game. And lo and behold, of course, we got the typical story that broke in France straight after Tungi obviously wasn't involved and that he wants to leave. I mean, John, what did you make of that team lineup?
2: I was very pleased to see Toby Adebira come back. You know, Davidson Sanchez is a player that he divides opinion, certainly amongst our fans. I was a huge fan, um, you know, and especially in this first and second season, he was really, really superb for us and had some great games. But unfortunately, he really hasn't kicked on. And and what really hammered it home for me was I was watching Chelsea versus West Ham the other night, and I saw Angelo Bonner, and I just thought to myself, would I swap Sanchez for him? And on that night, certainly, yes, I would. And I think that's quite a... Uh, a disappointing turn of events, considering he was, you know, over forty million pounds. Uh, I thought he was excellent in his first two seasons uh, in the Premier League and also in Champions League games. I remember especially a game at Dortmund when he was absolutely superb. Um, but yeah, you know, it has been disappointing, and probably the right decision now for Toby Alderweireld to come back in. But what I must stress on that is, with three games in seven days, we'll probably see some different players starting uh, at Bournemouth, uh, and then you know what he perceives as a stronger team starting for Sunday's massive North London derby against Arsenal. But Uh, In terms of the defence, yeah, you know, Serge Aurier is in at right-back. We have no other right-back. I'm I'm not a fan of Serge Aurier, but hopefully in the summer we will replace him. Ben Davison again at left-back. Mourinho is a big fan. Uh, Eric Dyer, I thought he had a solid game again, actually. So, you know, that has been a positive, seeing Eric Dyer come in and and, and, and do well. And then in midfield, we had Winks. Suzoko, who started all four games, which I find quite interesting, since Project Restart. So he's obviously a firm favourite of the manager. Uh, And then Giovanni Nescelso played in a slightly more advanced number... It wasn't really a number 10 role, but he was certainly on the front of the midfield three and he actually got into the box to create that goal Kane had the shot he spilled it down to Michelso so him actually being more advanced certainly gave us something especially with Delhi's absence we don't know yet how long he's going to be out for we could do with somebody else getting into the box creating chances hopefully scoring a few goals and hopefully we'll see more of that from Michelso and it does seem like at the moment that every single match we play he is our man of the match in Chelsea. so that's really promising um I would you know I mentioned earlier I wouldn't really have selected Mora. I think his form has been poor for a while now. I think Bergwin's form has actually been very good. So I would like to see much more of Stevie Bergwin uh, as the season goes on. Um, But yeah, it was just a case, as the lads have alluded to, of getting the job done, getting the three points on the board. So the team selection, uh, in terms of Thursday, I imagine we'll see lots of changes again with the Arsenal game coming so shortly afterwards.
1: I want to come out to you, Harry. I mean, you've already kind of touched on it. This is from Corey Albon at CWALBONE. He says, do you think Munoz's tactics are starting to work. Personally, I do because the performance usually makes me fall asleep in the first half, which I don't have to sit through (laughs) for the second. But I mean, can you, all joking aside, is there an identity here that you're starting to see with Mourinho or is it far too early to kind of roll that line out?
3: I think so. I think Mourinho has always adapted to the teams he has, the profile of players he has. Um, And what I'm starting to see is that he's looking for defensive organisation. The team tends to sort of, I'm more in of a mid block rather than an aggressive high press, which is okay. They, They pick and choose their moments to press higher. Um, there's more defensive organization. You can see that's being worked on and it's more down to individual defensive errors rather than the actual setup. Um, I would say, and perhaps the lack of players in key areas, for example, you know, a lack of a defensive midfielder, um, and also, I think you can actually see the ideas and attack. Um, it's not just people say that the only structure and attack is that Aurier goes high and Davis tucks in. That's not the only structure. Um, he, Mourinho allows his creative players to have freedom to create and offers a base structure. I, um, I was speaking to someone the other day, a good friend of mine who used to coach at Chelsea um, when Mourinho was there. And he actually said that Mourinho was a far more vehement attacking coach than any other coach you'd ever seen. He really, really focuses on coaching attack. Um, but it doesn't have to be set patterns. You know, I think a lot of people get confused nowadays. I'm not confused, but a lot of people think nowadays that the only way to coach attack, if it's literally set patterns where almost like, you know, it's paint by numbers, you know exactly what's going to happen when it happens. And uh, Mourinho prefers to give his players more licence to run, more licence to think, to combine in, in certain areas. So I can see that. I definitely can see that. I can see that. It really thrives with certain players. Um, it's already been alluded to with John. Um, Steven Bergwijn, um, I think it has been fantastic under Mourinho because he's one of those players that is very, very intelligent. Um, he's got a lot of variety to his game and he can interpret different situations, as can Harry Kane. The players for me that have struggled are the ones that perhaps struggle to do that. So I don't think that Hume Son has been that good recently. A fantastic footballer, been one of our best players in recent years. I'm not knocking him. It's just not quite his style. And perhaps Lucas Moura, but... I can 100% see why Mourinho is picking Lucas Moura and Son because, you know, um, it's all well and good wanting certain players to play. But, you know, players ha- you have to pick players that you trust to be mentally engaged and physically engaged throughout. Um, and that's why Ndombele isn't playing. People know that. People that follow me know I'm Ndombele's biggest fan but managers need plays they can rely on. And part of being able to rely on is actually being able to play 90 minutes of football and be mentally engaged throughout. And people think that's a simple thing, or it sounds like quite an old fashioned thing, but it's really, really important. You look at Liverpool's midfield and Liverpool's team, sorry, and how many of those players are physically able to play game after game, 90 minutes um, physically and mentally. And so I can see why he's playing those plays because Son and Mora are mentally engaged and physically engaged throughout the whole game. So, It wouldn't be my choice, for example, starting Lucas Moura, but I can definitely see why they do it. And I can 100% see ideas. Again, it's very difficult to keep working on ideas when you have the break of coronavirus. You have big, big injuries to keep players. It's very difficult to keep it going. But no, I I can 100% see ideas. And people think that, you know, giving your players freedom to create isn't an idea. Well, it is an idea. It's allowing your players to create. So I can see ideas 100%.
1: That's good to hear. Good to hear there. Some sense on Mourinho. There you go. (laughs) Harry can see the way forward. He can see there is some vision that Mourinho is creating. Question here, Leon, for you. This is from Mark Crump, who says, Are Dyer and Toby our best centre-back pairing? Does Toby's intelligence... Positioning and ability to ping a long pass, combined with Dyer's physical dominance, outweigh the lack of pace required. What do you think, Leon?
4: John sort of alluded to this in his in his answer earlier, but um, I'm pleased with Dyer. I think he's played fairly well since he slotted into uh, to, to centre back. Um, I, I do think we've got something additional with Toby, and it is that that, that long ball forward. It's not uh, everyone's sort of cup of tea, but it does give us. A different dimension. So I'm pleased he was back in in, in the team. Um, I think it's quite clear that we need some investment in in centre back in centre back uh, area come come the summer um, because we do need some pace in that back line. Sanchez has, has got that, but he's not really got the full package. Um, so I, I think probably at the moment, yes, Dyer and Alvaro are the best pairing at centre back. Um, but it's not about just the two the two sort of central defenders it is about how we defend as a team as a whole which has probably been the disappointing thing against Sheffield united um so I think it, it's it's sort of cut, cutting them a bit of slack but going forward yeah I think I think Dier and, and Al probably are the strongest of the bunch now um the tongan as much as, as he's, he's served the club I think he, he is past his best um and Sanchez just a submissive he's not in the full package. okay he's got pace okay he's got physicality but concentration maybe isn't there um, and his ability to sort of transition play from, from defence to midfield doesn't seem to be there. So, yeah, I think Dyer and probably are probably the best of the bunch we've got for now.
1: John, coming back round to you, I think, like I say, we've kind of mentioned this already in this first segment, but I think the brightest spark of the game was Giovanni Lo so who was in hand of kind of putting us ahead. Yes, it was an own goal. But if only all the players had that kind of fire that he has, we had no idea really that he had this bit of a mean streak within him. But, you know, this kind of Argentinian side, this real kind of industry that he's got, I mean, don't get me wrong, wasn't his greatest performance. But you do feel, John, when he's in the team, we do play a heck of a lot better, don't we?
2: Yeah, look, he makes something happen. You want footballers that make a difference. And he's certainly one of them. He gets on the pitch. And I, I really, really enjoyed seeing that other side of him last night. That sort of ha- hassling, hurrying side to him. you know, constantly pressing, getting in where it hurts, up for a bit of a scrap, you know. But within the rules, do you know what I mean? You know, go about it in a way where you get on your opponent's nerves. But, you know, you're, you're just putting a marker down on them, basically, without getting yourself in any trouble. So I'm really, really impressed with Michel. So I think that was an excellent bit of business. And he's the only one of our signings that has made a, a notable Contribution on the first team. Look, as fans, we all want to see more of Endon Bellet. Um, you know, Jack Clarke. You know, he could be one for the future. Hopefully, um, it's a bit worrying that he's not even getting a look in at QPR at the moment. But, but you know, we'll have to reassess that in the summer. That's Sessi Young. Out... worry
1: you, John? I have to ask you that as well because we haven't really had a chance yeah. to. assess Young, no inclusion again. As what we understand is not injured. And also now speculation seems to be that Spurs may even give him the opportunity to go on loan. I mean, it doesn't seem to be what I think us Spurs fans kind of envisioned for him. We actually thought he was going to come in, get some games, don't get me wrong, wasn't going to play every game. But are you disappointed that he hasn't had more of a look-in so far since this restart?
2: To be honest with you, yes. Because the one time he did have a look-in, and that didn't come until about December, was the dead rubber away to Bayern Munich in the Champions League. And he was absolutely spectacular. You know, he scored a wonderful goal past Manuel Neuer. Uh, And and since then, he hasn't really had much of a look-in. You know, the odd couple of minutes here... In different positions, he's had no sort of structured game time. If he's not going to get it at Tottenham, I think a loan certainly is sensible, but that's £30 million. You know, we haven't got, or well, 25 million plus on him up, who he valued at five. So, however you want to calculate it, but, you know, we haven't really got the sort of money to be throwing away £30 million on, on players that we're then going to loan out for another year next year. And I, I appreciate he's young, so he's obviously got time, to and also he's very, very talented. I remember two seasons ago, the season he had with Fulham, a clean sweep of awards in the Championship player of the year, young player. Um, So he's obviously a very talented player. Hasn't quite clicked for him yet. And it may be that he needs a loan away to really get going, but it's got to be a sensible loan. Look, basically, and people don't like to hear this, but since Tim Sherwood left the club, the loans that have been organised have been abysmal. Year after year, we send these players out on loan. They don't get minutes. They're unsettled. You know the one I always go back to is Marcus Edwards. You know he had you know some disappointing loans, and if he had the right loans at the right time, had we loaned him to Victoria where he's doing so well now, maybe he'd be coming back to Tottenham as a player, and he'd be happy to come back to Tottenham. You know, but we continuously pick these poor loans. Somebody it doesn't have to be Tim Sherwood, but he was excellent at his job, which not as the assistant manager or the deputy manager of Tottenham, but as a technical loan coordinator and development member of staff. Somebody like that that actually has good links with people goes out and makes these loans happen. It's vitally important for for young players and also for for players that we've bought for, for, for large sums, the likes of Jack Clark and Ryan Sessegnon, to maybe be going out and, and play week in, week out, because there's nothing like it. People say to me, oh, this in-house trading that Pochino done is, is, is good, but really, what fruit have we seen from that? OK, Harry Winks is the only one. And that's a straight fact, you know. I know some players trained a little. you know, Skip made 12 appearances, um, but, but he should have been out on loan. If Skip had been out on loan... You know, he would have been playing 50 league games already in the Championship or or League One. You know, he's good enough to go into a team, play week in, week out. I'd rather he was doing that than making up the numbers on a Tottenham bench or or not featuring at all, like Sessegnon last night. But what I will say on Sessegnon's absence was it did mean a chance for Denis Serkin to be amongst the matchday squad again. You know how highly I rate Denis, Rick. You know, I've seen him play multiple times. I've always picked him up. He's a fantastic, fantastic left back. He's got a lot going for him. He's got everything that Mourinho would like as well in terms of he's got a good height to him, physique, the way he carries himself from people who've worked with him. I think maybe uh, Harry may have worked with him before, so maybe he can give us some light on this. But I hear that he's a really respectful, um, you know, intelligent young man. So he's got a lot of the right criteria Mourinho would like. And he took an instant shine to him in that UEFA Youth Champions League game. And since then, has sort of had him involved in the first team when he's not had an injury or something, uh, stopping him from being involved. So... I was pleased at the absence of Session on that allowing uh, Sirkin the chance and I'm hopeful that in these remaining games he will get a a Premier League debut whether that's 10 minutes on Thursday um, at Bournemouth, you know, it seems more likely to me than him appearing uh, in the North London derby, but I would just like to see him involved to get in that taste to go on pre-season next year and show us if he gets a chance of games, why we don't need to buy a left-back. Save us £30 Daddy that is Sirkin. Get in that team, demonstrate what you're all about and I'm sure the fans will be left happy.
1: Daniel Levy's listening Saving 30 million. I mean, he'd it, be all over that, wouldn't he? Really, to be quite honest. Let's hope Dennis Sirkin can be a star and can break into this team. But to come around to you, over there, Harry. You know, we said about the sell, So to be fair, it was a tidy, industrious game. If not, maybe quite eye-catching. But I mean, this guy at the moment does seem to be improving in every game in a Spurs shirt. And I think from Mourinho, Harry, my right hand, this kind of player, he'd love this kind of guy because he gets his foot stuck in. And I think he has really kind of convinced him that he can build his team around him.
3: Yeah, 100. percent It's what I was saying earlier about players that are mentally engaged throughout and physically capable to play game after game, 90 minutes, and constantly engaged in the game. Um, and it's also certainly that. Um, but La Celso also has an absolute ton of quality. Uh, he weirdly, actually, um, not a lot of people agree with me. He reminds me of Lamella in quite a lot of ways. He's a, he's a very stiff um, kind of style, um, very vertical, can carry the ball forward, isn't really a. Tempo setter. Um. So I see people compare him to Modric. He's nothing like Modric for me. Uh, Modric could play over different distances. He could um, slow the game down. He could swivel. He could turn. Um. He's not like that. Lascello. Lascello is very direct. Very vertical. Um. you know, he's on the ball. that kind. Of, the move kind of always picks up pace. Um. But he's he's a play that, of course, yeah, Mourinho loves, and he's doing really really well because of what I said. You know, you kind of know what you're going to get from Lascello every game now. Um. He probably does need to produce maybe a bit more in the final third now, um, try to create more and um, perhaps, you know, show his goal scoring exploits, which we know he has. Uh, But then again, he's had to do so much for Tottenham deeper um, and um, it's very difficult for him to maybe completely flourish and do what he wants to do because of how much he's had to do for the side. Uh, But no, he's a fantastic player and he's doing really, really well and he completely deserves um, all the praise he's getting.
1: How impressed have you been with him, Leon? Because this is a guy that has, of course, come from a different league and he has hit the ground running where, again, you look at someone like and Nubele, as Harry alluded to there, maybe he's not, you know, mentally engaged for a full 90 minutes. That's probably maybe one of the problems. But you look at La Celso, he really is kind of giving Mourinho, you know, everything that he's got in his locker. And he's got that feisty side to him that, as Spurs fans, we do love to see in an Argentinian.
4: He's brilliant, Ricky. He's a fantastic player, and I think um, when Mourinho first rocked up, I'm not sure he was he was that convinced by him. He didn't really give him uh, that much of a chance, and obviously he saw saw what he's all about in training, or, or, or got convinced else elsewise. And uh, yeah, he's he's been brilliant. He's certainly been the. the brightest spark for Spurs and he's, he's exactly the kind of player we need in that midfield uh, someone who, who can sort of you know as, as Harry says pick up the ball run with it look look for a spot to, to play someone in uh, and and decent at, um, at crafting chances for himself so yeah he's, he's a brilliant player absolutely fantastic I think he's definitely going to be one to watch I mean how old is he he's, he's, still, he's still early 20s isn't he so he's got a lot of developing to do um, and he could be a real bright spark for Spurs and, and a long way to continue I hope
1: we are going to go for a very quick break, and I think it's what you've been all waiting for. We're going to talk about the Hummin Son and Hugo Lloris clash, which may be, again, um, for some, it's maybe been blown way out of proportion, but we've got to have that debate. And, of course, we're looking forward to still a big game for top to come against Bournemouth on Thursday. So do not go anywhere. We are back after this very, very short break. Hello and welcome back to the second half of The Last Word on Spurs. Thank you as always for downloading us. As we mentioned, our first of three shows coming your way this week. We'll be looking back on Bournemouth and also looking back on Arsenal. So we're hoping for some positive results. We've got a win to talk about still, which we're delighted to have. Of course, the main headline or highlight of that game that caught attention was the, I'd say, little clash, you would maybe call it, between Hugo Lloris and Hummin Son. Now, we've been arguing all season about a lack of maybe passion and fight for this team, and we quite literally saw some of it at half-time. Tell me what you made of that incident, and was you happy as a Spurs fan to see that reaction from Hugo Lloris? Again, as a captain, many have questioned whether Hugo is the right captain for the football club. What did you make of that incident overall, John?
2: The first thing we need to say is, and I'm sure our listeners probably thought the same as they were watching it is, that was the two, like, most least unlikely people to ever be involved in a scrap of any kind. That's what you I think, know. Yeah. It was just, it was totally bizarre. Like, yeah. It totally took me, like, what is going on here? Um, and yeah, you know, look, I've actually got no issue with it. Professional footballers should demand, uh, you know, 100% from each other. In the incident in question, I watched some Sky analysis on it after, and it was about Sun not tracking back. And that's unusual for Sun. Normally, he does track back. Um, and loris had a go at him. But, you know, to be honest with you, would I have rather it happened twenty seconds later when they were halfway down the tunnel and the whole world couldn't see? Probably, yeah. If I'm being honest with you, I'm, I'm pleased it happened because I'm pleased that Loris is starting to be vocal and starting to demand more of his teammates. I want the whole team doing that, demanding more of each other, and that's a good positive trait to see. Um, but I just wish it happened out of the, you know, the look of the sky cameras, mainly because. Had that result not gone our way, can you imagine that image plastered all over oh. social media? Well, what about a field
1: day, John? I mean, can you imagine yeah. the media? It would have had an absolute field day. You
2: know, I've got images of stick Mesut and people like that on Twitter, you know, getting very excited and, you know, <laughs> uploading it as their screen picture and all that sort of stuff. You know, Tottenham in turmoil and they'd get the old Titanic sinking picture ship out again and all that. So it could have been potentially a big PR disaster for the club on top of, you know, we've had multiple of those already this season. Um so it could have been a bit, a bit dangerous for the club, for the club captain and son, who is so widely recognisable around the world and has such a big global following to be involved in a spat like that. Um, so I would rather it just happened inside the tunnel. Um, so, gents, next time you get a kick-off, do it out of eyesight, please. <laughs>
1: Harry, just to come over to you. I mean, again, it is worth, again, point out there that they had a little mini hug afterwards and in the tunnel, again, it was almost like Reno saying, make sure the cameras see that, make sure they pick that up in terms of there being a mini hug straight <laughs> after. And then again, at the end, we saw the embrace. But the thing of the matter is that, I mean, Harry, from my perspective, I've got absolutely no problem in the fact that Hugo Lloris has called out a member of his team there because of the fact that it was a poor attempt to retain possession and we always argue the case that should are you going to release, be a captain, is he vocal enough? And then you kind of have fans saying, well, I don't really want to see that. I mean, what kind of side of the debate are you on in terms of you know your players doing that on the football pitch?
3: Nothing wrong with it. I couldn't really care less about that incident, to be honest. Um, if people think that's a scrap, then um, they should really uh, they'll be amazed at what goes on inside a changing room. Um, the, these, these boys are Premier League footballers. Um, to get to that level... You have to be so intense and hardworking and dedicated. Um, and that will lead to regularly things blowing over. Um, those situations happen all the time. Uh, usually they do happen, obviously, behind the scenes. Um, but this one just happened to happen, to happen before they went into the change room. OK, maybe not ideal, you know, in terms of the press getting hold of it, um, being in front of the sky cameras. But honestly, it doesn't bother me one bit that happened in front of the sky cameras. It won't bother the players one bit. Um, it happens all the time and a lot, lots worse things. Well, not worse things, but there's a lot bigger scraps to happen in the changing rooms at every club um, than that. So, I no, i uh, it's completely normal and it didn't bother me one bit.
1: I've got to ask you, Leon. I mean, again, it's from the more comedic point of view, which we are going to have to suffer at the end of this season. But the Amazon documentary men, they must be laughing their heads off. I've had the potch sacking live on camera, as we understand, that's going to be coming out. We've got the Bayern Munich lost the, the 7-2. We've been knocked out of the cup by Colchester. You know we've had Jose Park in the bus. Some will argue knocked out the FA Cup by Norwich. Now we've got our own players firing. Eric Dyer going to the crowd. I mean, to be fair, this Amazon documentary—they might have to carry on extending it, won't they?
4: You know what? If if you're not a Spurs fan, I think it's going to be the best thing on television in a long time. Um, but if you're a Spurs fan, less so because it has been such a such an ups, upside down season. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's it's entertainment for the for the Amazon documentary. It was entertainment for. For, for the Sky Boys to talk about after a not very uh, eventful game, but I reckon had it been, uh, had the crowd been in there, I don't, I don't reckon they'd have had the, the set two out on the pitch. I think because it does feel a little bit like a training game, they probably thought, you know, I'll, "I'll get it out in the open now" rather than wait for the changing room. So there might be that aspect of it. Um, I don't mind it, you know. As, as, as a fan, um, I want to see the players passionate for the club. I want, I want to see them having a, a go at one another if, if they think something's not right. Um, and I think what, what, what Jose said after the game, you know, it's all about mentality. And that is one of our biggest problems. I mean, you know,
0: we've, we, I've heard it on this
4: podcast before. I've heard it in a dozen other forums. We've got a problem with mentality. If if that's what Jose is trying to do and still this kind of winning character in the, in, in the players as individuals and then ultimately as a squad, I think that's a good thing. Uh, and yeah, if tensions boil over a little bit, you know, everyone's had a a scrap with a colleague or with you know family members with friends at the end of the day it's 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 uh, it's part and parcel of, of the game of football and uh, yeah, i was glad to see it It's
1: you know funny i i think i'll go back to what john says there that if this result didn't go the right way you would imagine, i you know, say, the media would have picked it up and changed the, you know, the outcome in terms of what that would have meant for the dressing room in that falling out. But the fact we won, I think that does kind of help, you know, the narrative that you know this is a changing where everybody does care. And I think that's one of the things as Spurs fans, definitely in the last kind of 18 months or so with the Pochettino departure, many feel that the players were the ones that let the manager down. And again, it seems like the same group of players are maybe doing the same to Jose Mourinho in terms of the effort and their commitment. And you do want to see more of this fight inside. So I've got absolutely no problem if it's for the benefit of the team to see that. And I think, again, a listener question here, or a listener statement, really. Robo Gaming says, and he agrees, I loved seeing that Laurie spat with Hoonmin Son, and it's becoming more of a captain and a leader we need, and more passion, hopefully, from Hugo in the future. So he agrees on that. Back round to you, John. Leon mentioned it there in terms of Mourinho's post-match comments. What do you think What how he came across? He said it was beautiful, and it's almost like he does want to see this Tottenham side be a bit more nasty. But, I mean, I think back to kind of Battle of the Bridge. I I think back to certain games under the Pochettino. We had that. We definitely had that. I think there was an incident at in Sheffield United where I think Egan was booked. he may have been sent off. And, again, it would have been a highly unlikely red card. But unless you appeal it, you never know. And it's almost a case that, do you want to see Spurs being more in the referee's face? Do you want to see Spurs being more aggressive in general, John?
2: Yeah I do to be honest with you and, and it's interesting you say we did certainly have it and we did you're right you go back to that Chelsea game uh, there was many other games in that season where we were bang on it for a minute one um, you know places where we struggled to win away Newcastle being a prime one you know we were regularly going up there under Potch winning 4-0 one year 3-1 the next year and um, so we would become sort of hard and tough and this sort of southern softies uh, tag had, had gone from Tottenham you know we were all about it when it had Dembele in there you had Wanyama in there you had a Dyer, when he first came into the team, and was really, really good. So, there were stronger characters, maybe, and we've maybe lost that a little bit. You had Rose and Walker being so aggressive from their fullback positions. So, maybe the change of personnel has lost that identity a little bit. And, you know, a game in particular I really think back to where we did get bullied out of it. There was a couple last season, actually. Obviously, the Burnley game that led to, uh, you know, a run of bad form after that, and and Maurizio being involved in a spat with uh, the referee on the day, I believe it was Mike Dean, um, and also a game at Southampton that we lost where we simply just got out-muscled and, and out you know, outmaneuvered basically. Um, so, yeah, it is something I'd like to see more of. I think we have got very talented players in the squad, uh, the likes of Luchelso, Kane and Son primarily, Stephen Bergwin as well. So if we can add a sort of tough stillness to us, that would really improve our sort of overall results uh, and ability to, to go to places away from home and shore up that record, which has become so poor but wasn't poor before. Um so, yeah, but I think that will also come from some of the changes in personnel. I think both fullbacks need upgrading. and Hopefully, if those upgrades can come in and also be very aggressive in the way that Walker and Rose were. I mean, people think of Walker and Rose as just sort of very much attacking outlets, but they were super, super aggressive as well. Um, people, wingers didn't want to come up against them, you know. Um, so that already, you know, weakens your opponent. So that is something we can certainly look at in the summer when we bring in new fullbacks. And there's something we definitely need to do. I would like... but In terms of Mourinho trying to claim it as some sort of victory, I found that quite funny in a way. Um, You know, could he have imagined that Son and and, uh, Hugo Lloris would have been involved in the spat? Absolutely not. No Tottenham fan could. So, you know, all right, he's trying to claim it. I do agree with his comment that no no one wants to win the Fair Play Cup and all that sort of thing. So maybe this will be a positive change. But only time will tell, you know. We've got a game coming up on Thursday and then the biggest game of the season for me, um, as always, you know, the Arsenal game. Let's see if the players care fight and want to battle for the badge in that game because
1: that's when it matters most. I'm interested, Harry. I mean, like I say, you've got obviously a very keen opinion of Jose Mourinho in terms of his man management and in terms of obviously the, the way he's trying to set out this Tottenham team. From a mentality perspective, it's one of those things that are definitely over Spurs in the last 18 months. You don't need me to tell you, it's something that's been questioned so many times of being the nearly men, failing to win the big cup games, failing to get over the line and not having the kind of know-how and to do that. With Mourinho, do you genuinely believe that he can change the mentality of this Spurs team? Can he actually do that in over the course of the next 12, 18 months?
3: I think the mentality has been fine for a while, actually. I really, really do. Um, but people need to understand that these footballers are human beings as well, and they're going to have dips. There's going to be stages where maybe there's a lack of confidence or... It's just not going that right way. And people are very quick to instantly, you know, challenge the mentality. Um, Put it this way, this squad somehow got to a Champions League final last year. um, When it was basically put together with a plaster. I mean, it was incredible achievement how they managed to do it. Uh, You can't do that. It is impossible to get to a Champions League final if you have a weak mentality. Um, So, I mean, can Ringo be the one to turn them into winners? (laughs) I I think that's I think that's quite an unfair statement on Posh on Pochettino. I think that you know there's there's two teams always on a football pitch and there's no no one has a right to win a game and Spurs were very very close to getting over the line and sometimes just the way it goes um could Mourinho perhaps give them that extra edge maybe but again Pochettino was very very close to winning with Tottenham. That team should have won. They basically did win. Um I mean I saw I saw the table the other day it's ridiculous about they on the table over two seasons didn't they? and Spurs were like Well, clear of everyone else, and like had a massive goal difference. I hate
1: seeing that table, Harry. Do you know
3: what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's just what it's just sometimes it is just one of those things. There are so many tangibles that go into deciding who wins, who's successful. And I don't think the squad is weak mentally. I think that they've had in the last 18 months, I think they were mentally exhausted and they've had a dip. I don't think that means they're weak, and I don't think that means that they don't care. And um, whether Mourinho can be the one to take him over the line. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a mental issue that he fixes. I think it'll be more in terms of like just maybe an understanding of the, like you know the tactical regiment element. You know, for example, Mourinho a few years ago went to play IX um, in the Europa League final for for Man United when he was Man United manager. Now, a lot of managers might go toe to toe with IX and get out football. Mourinho was like, "Well, no, I'm going to be pragmatic and I'm going to win." Um, so Mourinho is someone that will win at all costs mentality. Whereas most managers, a lot of managers nowadays, they would, they won't deviate from their way of playing. So I don't think it will be necessarily a mental issue that Mourinho fixes. It's just more that, um, that setup of win at all costs. I think that's what Mourinho could perhaps help Spurs with getting over the line if he's, of course, backed. Um, not necessarily with multi million multi-million pound footballers in terms of like 50, 60 million pound players, but just backed correctly. Um, you know, square pegs, square holes in terms of what Spurs need.
1: Talk about square pegs, square holes. Harry Kane, you mentioned it earlier, John, that he's been focusing more defensively. And I want to ask Leon this question you more of a statement that Leon, he had 14 touches in the penalty area for Harry Kane in his last five games, including this one, and that was obviously against Everton. He had 12 on the opening day alone. He seems to be feeling off scraps at the moment. What are you making of Harry Kane? Is he being used effectively for you? Is it a case he's just come back from injury? How are you seeing Harry Kane's performances at the moment in a Spurshirt?
4: Yeah, he's certainly not been Harry uh, Kane on fire, as we're, we, we've we been used to over previous seasons. and uh, For me, that's been... Uh, A worry, Um, but at the end of the day, uh, as John said, he was really solid defensively. I mean, he was. Everton had a good few free kicks and corners, and he was just batting them away. And uh, you know that was positive to see. But we rely on on that bloke. We rely on Harry Kane to put the ball in the back of the net, and and that's how we pick up a lot of points. So it is a worry, Um, but uh, I think he always starts the season. A bit slow, uh, and I guess you know you can sort of view this as a, as a restart of of, uh, of the season. Not to mention he's he's been out injured for a long period as well. So I think we've got to give him a chance to warm up a little bit. Um, and the service isn't really there. The service hasn't really been there. I mean, certainly Sheffield United was poor. Everton, w- w- we were struggling to be uh, creative. I didn't create a great deal for him to to put in the back of the net. So he's been feeding off scraps really and. I think over time he'll it'll, it'll come good and we'll we'll get back to the Harry Kane of old. I certainly hope so.
1: John, I think some may feel that, you know, we're we're missing this kind of Moussa Dembele kind of player, who can go past, you know, players in the midfield and you know with his stats he showed a huge difference in terms of his shots on goal, touches in the box when he had Dembele playing alongside with him and we all hope of course that Undembele is gonna be the answer long term if and you know, as Harry says there, you know, in terms of his you know, getting mental engagement from Ndombele. that's the key here. But are you concerned, John, about Harry Kane's positioning in the recent weeks?
2: Listen, interesting. I think there's a double answer to that question. So the first answer would be he actually had to get the ball in the net four times against Sheffield United. Obviously, two were offside, but actually, still nice finishes. The, the, the diabolical Lucas decision that if it wasn't a goal, then it has to be a free kick. Um, and obviously, the goalie finished very nicely. So um, you know, and then he scored against West Ham. So has he been quiet? Well, no, that's two, two goals already. Um, but the other side of that is, is he coming deeper because we haven't got a player like Eriksen there. You talked about Dembele, but also Ericsson, you know, Eriksen made this whole Tottenham team we all loved for the last five years click as much as Dembele did in a different way. Um, and Eriksen obviously played a lot more because he had less injuries and the, and the like. But um, I think Kane is now dropping deeper because he's also our best midfielder. Um, as well as being our best striker. So he's coming deep to create chances. If we had a Harry Kane in the team creating chances for another Harry Kane, we'd be laughing. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have that at the moment. So Kane is starting to do double the work and starting to drop into the spaces that Ericsson used to be in, in order to create chances for others. But ideally, we'd like someone else creating the chances for Harry to be, you know, finishing, finishing those, those, uh, those openings in games. Because at the moment, I'm feeling like Harry's having to do more work than he's done before. Because there isn't somebody there creating those chances, and I mean, last night seeing the Chelsea more advanced in the free, that does give me hope moving forward that we may see a bit more of that. Um, because we need someone to be creating the chances for Harry, not him creating them himself. And the only negative I'll say about Harry, and, and you know, it is is the one is him still taking free kicks. This has got to stop. You know, Harry can do everything with the ball. I get that, but he's never, from my memory, apart from the deflected one against Villa in the last minute. Has he scored another free kick for Spurs? And he keeps taking them time and time and time again. Dier took to one last night. I'm
1: trying to think, Harry, no, I don't think he has. Has he scored three-kicks? So right?
2: why does he keep taking them? What is this thing about him taking three-kicks? Look, he's a fantastic striker with the ball, I get that, but he's just not good at free kicks What and I don't understand, fine. John,
1: though, on that free kick is that when, again, he had a free kick in a similar position and Dier took it, it's like, do you not have a regular set-piece take well, anymore? Well, is well, it a case of, you know, help well, yourself?
2: I was actually in, in Marseille watching England when Dyer stepped up and took that free kick and I turned around to my fellow fans who were Aston Villa and all sorts of teams and they said to me, oh, does he take them for Spurs? I said, never. And he bended it in the top bins. Since that day, he should have been taking free kicks to Tottenham. You know, it seems mythical to me that he wasn't taking... Ericsson scored four free kicks in about eight years for us. Um, that why Dyer wasn't taking them often? He came pretty close last night with one. He should have been taking the second one. That was his sighter. If you give good players who are set-piece specialists... Uh, chance after chance, eventually they'll go in. I'd like to see Dyer now, given a regular chance of in the free kicks. I don't want to see Harry Kane taking any more free kicks. I love Harry Kane. I think he's the best number nine in world football. I'll always pick him up. But just the free kicks, Harry, please leave them.
1: <laughs> Harry, bringing you in here. Gary, at uh, Gary has a point, says, do you think with the focus now on team defending, it negates the need for Kane to play so deep I would prefer much having him as a free role, spearheading the attack, holding the ball up for our attacking players. There is no target man for our long balls at present. Do you agree?
3: I see the point. Like I was alluding to earlier, where Mourinho is giving um, the, the attacking players you know, freedom to move, roam and create, you need players that can interpret that and can make decisions. And Harry Kane is one of the best at linking play. And combining with those one-touch passes... Um, so often he's actually needed in the build-up to that. If there's a alley hopefully he gets his mojo back and he's back in the side, um, then he can do that and how he can go and go higher up. But at the moment, Kane is actually needed to be one of those players that can, um, you know, in the involved heavily involved in the build-up quite deep, and it's whether he can then get into the box again or whether, where Spurs, you know, are often quite direct and very vertical, when Harry Kane does drop deep, often the move has to end in a shot quite quickly. They quite they struggle to keep the ball in the final third for the amount of time, so Harry Kane often struggles to catch back up with playing, getting get into the box. If Spurs can sort of are able to sort of keep the ball in the final third a little bit longer, then you'll find Harry Kane higher up the pitch. But for now, um, he's really important at being um, a, a key role in providing the um, a key cog in the build up. Sorry,
1: last player. I want to mention before we look ahead to Bournemouth, Harry Winks, one that at the moment I think is definitely with fans kind of polarising opinion, are we at a point where there's a crossroads in his career, is it just the case where Mourinho doesn't quite know his best position, I mean Leon let's ask you, Harry Winks, you mentioned him I think at the start of the show, where do you see his long-term future, will it be at Tottenham or do you think that it just may not work in a Mourinho team. What's your thoughts on Harry Winks?
4: I would love the future to be at Tottenham. Uh, I, you know, I think it is brilliant that he's a homegrown lad, and obviously he loves he loves the club. But for me, I struggle to see what he adds to the team. I, I just struggle to know what sort of player he is. What's he doing that that that, that makes him you know a, a name on that starting eleven? Uh, And and I I just don't see it at the minute, and I'm not sure he is a Jose player. If if, you know he has got this sort of style of play that he that he wants, I think Winks is a bit of a luxury, Um, and it pains me to say that because I really, really do want him to succeed. But he's been in and around the team long enough now, and we've not really seen him sort of kick on in the way that certainly a lot of a lot of fans would have hoped um and you know maybe he needs a sort of loan period maybe somewhere abroad just to sort of you know broaden his broaden his horizons a little bit uh, learn a bit more about football he's not the finished article by any stretch um and maybe come back at spurs and, and, and see what he can do once he's once he's had a sort of long run in the team he's not going to be the first name on the team sheet going forward i think uh you know, there's a lot of options in midfield, and he seems to, to prefer Sissoko and obviously Leselso, um as, as the sort of midfield pairing, and then Belly when he's back up top or, or further forward. So um, I don't see Wink starting game after game, but I really hope he, he kicks on and, and stays at Spurs. That's what my that's what my heart says. My head says I don't think he will do. I think he'll he'll probably move on um, after next season if he doesn't get a good run and if he doesn't uh, he doesn't improve. Um, is, is uh, showing to
1: Jose. I mean, John, again, kind of on this side of Harry Winks, many will then feel, you know, that maybe Winks, he does a job. You know, some will maybe see the kind of hassling and the harrying from the start and trying to bring the desire Mourinho called for as the case that, you know, he may be able to work in a Mourinho system. Some will feel he did make the difference along with Alderweireld, you know, in terms of that game. How are you seeing Winksy's progression under Jose Mourinho if you feel there is progression under him, John?
2: Yeah, I'm perfectly happy with Harry Winks. To be honest he's 24, he's come through the academy, so for squad registration rules he counts, as not only homegrown but club-trained. You need four club-trained players for Champions League squads, so hopefully when we get back in that, when that will be, uh, you know, he, he's a vital player for multiple reasons and in my, in my opinion, he's actually a very good player. Um, I thought he adds a bit of a tempo to the team last night. Things were starting sort of in the midfield with him. He's never going to be a goal scorer, but that's not what he's there for. He's going to sit deep uh, and carry out some passing and, I get why people question what's the end product with him, because he's not a Dembele or he's not a sort of Bagnard, he's not a guaranteed aggressive DM on paper. But he is in there setting the tone and, and tempo of, of, of the forward attacks with his passing range and his ability to sort of um, buy time on the ball. And I think managers do appreciate that. He would be near the bottom of my list of players to get rid of. Um, you know, as I said earlier, he's homegrown, he's only 24. He's got a contract till 2024. And it was interesting that when there were first murmurings of maybe him looking to move, that Manchester City and Manchester United, according to The Athletic, um, you know, who, are, who are very reliable on Tottenham, especially Jack Pitbrook, um, said that they were the teams that would be interested in him. Because they realised this is a homegrown asset that's played hugely experienced at only 24. He's played in the Champions League final and was our best player in the final. Um, you know, he's, He played in the England national team, multiple Premier League matches, played under two of the world's you know, best managers in Mourinho and Pochettino now. So he's a hugely experienced player for somebody so young. And he doesn't have to play every week. Football's a squad game, you know. He might not be in the strongest eleven, but he'll always be in your squad. When we're in European competition and you're playing twice a week, there's enough games to go around. And I hope we can keep Harry Winks in the squad, certainly.
1: Harry, I want to ask you your thoughts on Harry Winks. And also a question here. This is from Jed Sprague, who says, We seem to have trouble finding synergy and creativity in the middle of the park. What would be your ideal midfield three? And I'll make it easy for you. Would Winks be in your midfield three, Harry?
3: Winks is a vital part of the squad. He's one of those players that is the best in the squad at passing and receiving at angles, which sounds like a sort of a nothing kind of thing. But it's really important to keep in the momentum and the rhythm of the game at that time. So where Spurs at, at times can struggle for possession and for keeping hold of the ball in certain areas, he's really good at that one. Um, and it's really important part of the game to be able to pass and receive at angles, um, so he's a huge part of the squad. I don't believe in first 11s, um, but Winks would be a huge part of the squad. Um, definitely, uh, in terms of, if I had to pick a starting, I'd pick a starting trio at the moment, it would probably be Winks and Dombele and Laselso with Winks as a sitter. Um, I don't think Winks should be the six and I don't think that's a trio that would work against, um, a lot of sides. But for now, I would say that's probably our best one unless Skip gets some minutes, in which case Skip would probably take Winks' pace as a six. Um, But against certain opposition, that would be what I would take. Obviously, I would worry about the the lack of legs and defensive discipline, especially when teams hit us on transition. Um, But for now, against certain teams, I would be quite interested to see how the dynamics of that would work because Winks might get some help as a sitting sixth if he has two other midfielders helping him with the legwork. But um, I'd be interested to see how that would work.
1: Well, just on the back of that game against Everton, we know that was Jose Mourinho recording his 200th Premier League win and you know, becoming only the fifth manager to achieve that, only Manchester United legend Sir Alex Ferguson with 322 has reached that landmark in fewer matches than the Spurs head coach Jose Mourinho, 326. An incredible, actually, if you listen to the narratives around Chelsea and Spurs, that Jose Mourinho actually has three more points than Frank Lampard in the 22 Premier League games since his appointment. So, again lots of different opinions if Mourinho is right if Mourinho is wrong as the Spurs head coach but there you go interesting stats and we are going to look ahead now to a huge game against Bournemouth but before we do we're delighted to have Sam who is going to be previewing the game from the back of the net podcast for Bournemouth who's taking us into this
5: break the opposition view well project restart hasn't exactly been kind to us We haven't had the best of seasons, but my goodness, since the first match that we had where we lost 2-0 in front of the eyes of the nation on the BBC against Crystal Palace at home, we have been awful. Bournemouth are always a team that have prided themselves on playing an expansive brand of football. And yeah, we have been punching above our weight for many a season in the Premier League, but with relatively good signings, we've managed to stay pretty much in mid-table with without the fear of relegation. So this time round, it's a horrible place to be. And most Bournemouth fans know that if we do go down, the chances of getting back up are probably very slim. One of the reasons why we've been so poor this season, I think, since we started in the Premier League, we've managed to take the nucleus of the side that came up from the championship and then add gradually new signings players like Nathan Ake coming in, Jefferson Lerma. There have been a whole host of players that have really taken to the Bournemouth brand of football like a duck to water. However, this season, due to injuries, we've been forced to blood a number of new players at once, which has meant that it's not exactly been that slow blend. For instance, the first match of the season, you've got a brand new midfield effectively, Harry Wilson, Jefferson Lerma, Philip Billing, And then think about the new fullbacks we've had in terms of Jack Stacey and Diego Rico that hadn't had many minutes. Dan Juma that we signed as well. All players that have had to get used to the system very, very quickly. And then add into that the mix of Jordan Ibe, Ryan Fraser, players that have off the pitch caused a lot of problems for us. Ryan Fraser, brilliant over the years, but this season he's just not been on it. And there have been reasons for that. But we don't want to talk about him for too long because he's gone now, no longer at the club. But uh, I, I do feel as though, had he been on it this season, we would certainly be in a more comfortable position. But it is what it is, and we are where we are. What can we do to improve our form? Well, based on the first three matches, we were absolutely atrocious. The attacking impetus was completely gone. But against Manchester United, despite the scoreline that anyone would look at and think, Blimey, Bournemouth are in a bad rut. 5 2. For Bournemouth fans, we were looking at that thinking, well, there are little bits of optimism and there are some bright sparks that can be taken in to the future games. Now, of course, Spurs, after that, Leicester, we got Man City away, Southampton at home, and then Everton away. They are not the easiest run, and out of all the teams that are likely to be in the For instance, us, Aston Villa and Watford. I think Watford have probably got the easiest of the run-ins, but we've got to take heart from performances like Sheffield United. I think Spurs obviously were unlucky with the VAR decision. However, United went on and played so well and that's what we need to do. We used to have this almost reckless brand of football with overlapping full backs and just attacking at will. And quite often we would leave ourselves exposed. We haven't had that. And since Project Restart, we've just left ourselves exposed. We only registered a couple of shots on target in three matches of football. I mean, to get two shots on target in a half is probably deemed a little bit low, but six halves... Absolutely poor. So, to see Stanislas opening the scoring at Old Trafford gave us heart. We scored a disallowed goal. Josh King got his penalty, and it was a very open game. And the quality of uh, United sort of shone through in the end. So, we're looking at matches at home against Spurs, thinking, well, if we do a bit of that, then we might be all right. Problem is for Bournemouth. I think Eddie Howe's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's a great manager and he's done really well at managing players up who've come from the lower leagues. But when it comes to managing big personalities, I think that's perhaps his weakness. And you've got to look at the big signings that we've made. I mean, Jordan Ibe, Dominic Solanke, that's £35 right there. You start to think that we do spend very liberally on players that are very untested and I know it's supposed to be an investment in the future but we haven't seen the best of Dom yet so whether he'll feature against Spurs I don't know but we really do need to get the points on the board the fans expect it after such a rut that's just been going on and on and on Eddie Howe's got the pressures of of course he's He's integral to everything at the club. The club is built around him. Even the mottos and the slogans on the wall are all inspired by him and the people whose books he reads. And of course, he's got the pressure of knowing that there'll be staff that are probably laid off if we get relegated to the championship. There's a big £38 million training complex which might be scrapped or scaled down if we get relegated. And that's supposed to be the legacy of the club. At the moment, the only legacy we've got is automated turnstiles. Total shocker. So there's a lot for him to think about and how he sleeps at night, I don't know. He's got us out of trouble before, but I think this is perhaps too little too late. Our season, basically, it revolves around this match. If we get something, then we can take some heart. If we don't, I think the only way we're going is south. Sad to see our Premier League era ending in this way but I have faith and you know, glass half full glass half empty I'd I say if it's half empty Spurs are going to win it but half full, we might nick a draw that would be handy the fact that we only beat you 1-0 in the last minute when you were down to 9 men last season, troubles me somewhat, but fingers crossed we'll stay in the league because I think it's good to have a mix of uh, tin pot in the Premier League um, but you know, at the moment On our brand of football, I don't think we'll be missed. I just really hope that we can turn it around and go all guns blazing into these last five games and just give us the best possible opportunity to stay up. The Opposition View.
0: Hello
1: and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs, our final segment of the show. Looking ahead to Bournemouth to come for Tottenham. Still a big game. We've got, obviously, Arsenal to come at the weekend. So, really, really important spurs go into that game, you feel, on the back of a win. Now, coming over to you, Leon Bournemouth, to be fair. They've been on awful, awful form since the restart. And many will again say probably, Dr Tottenham, here we come. But they'll be looking to make an amends for a really heavy 5-2 loss to Manchester United. What kind of game are we expecting here, Leon? Because they are one point behind the safety zone. Meaning that Thursday's football match is a big importance for them if they are to try and survive the drop.
4: Yeah, I mean, they're in a shocking run of form. So uh, it's it's uh, it's going to be an interesting game because, as you say, they've got a lot to fight for and, and I'm sure that they'll be up for it. Uh, it's just whether or not that Spurs can, can bring the quality on the day to, to, to get the three points. And I think we'll probably see... I'm sorry to say, probably a very similar game to again, Everton. I think it will be keeping it tight at the back, trying to keep that clean sheet if if we can, um, and looking to take our chances when they come. But we're likely to have a fair bit of the ball. It'll be interesting to see what what, what happens with the selection and who who, who starts that game. I think um, the centre back pairing will be interesting. Does he stick with with Toby and Dyer, or does he maybe look to bring Sanchez back in? Um, so that'll be of interest. Um, and again, maybe you know the Bergwijn question. I'd, I'd like to see Bergwijn play, or certainly start that game. Um, maybe in place of, of Mora, or, or even or even Son. Um, so, lots of lots of questions to to uh, to be answered. I reckon it will be a pretty scrappy, pretty poor quality game again. Sorry to say it, but if we can come out with three points, and I think uh, it puts us on. Uh, a positive a positive spiral towards um, towards hopefully finishing the season on a high.
1: I love the way you kind of teed us up there, you know, just to not expect too much in terms of the performance, Leon. I love that. It, it'll be the same. It's <laughs> get gonna used change. to it. Get used to it, God. Get, get used to it, yeah. Oh, dear. John, Eddie Howe's troops, they're on a five-game losing run in the Premier League. But, you know, you do feel when they're at home, maybe, just maybe, they might put a performance... I've got
2: the Premier League table up in front of me. Bournemouth oh. are absolutely horrific. They are. They're yeah. on... You know, minus 27 goal difference, 20 losses already this season, five defeats on a bounce. They got done 2-0 at home by Palace uh, just bef- uh, on just bef- in fact, on the 20th of June. Um, you know, so, so that's enough. If Palace are going there and rolling them over 2-0, anything other than a Tottenham win will be an absolute travesty. Um, we have to go there. We have to turn up. Don't get me wrong, I'm not expecting us to turn up and beat them because Fulham have got some very good players. You know, Brooks has come back in the side. He's a player I want want Tottenham to target now that he's fully recovered from uh, injury. They've got Nathan Ake at the back, uh, Stanislas, King. um, So they have got some very good players. Callum Wilson uh, in that squad. Um, But but they're in such bad form, we have to capitalise on that. I actually think if we can go and get an early goal, it may be a comfortable win for Tottenham. But the longer we let, let it drag out, that's when the character that we talked about earlier in the show will need to shine through and will need to grind out a win. Uh, I am going for a Tottenham winning that game. Um, but, me, you know, as, uh, as as Leon said, I don't expect it to be pretty. Uh, but Tottenham need to win this game. Bournemouth are in absolutely horrendous form.
1: Just coming back round to you, Harry... We know, obviously, we, we did see it on Twitter. If that, some people haven't seen it. You know, we saw you doing some work. And I think you, Percy, we've obviously a coach there with you, with Stephen Bergvine. I think during the winter break on Ryan Sand, do you want to tell us how, kind of how that came about? And, you know, would you like to see him start? Yep,
3: I would like to see Stephen start. And, um, yeah, so basically, uh, alongside my colleague, Richard Webstar, we have a company where we train professionals and academy players um, in the UK and abroad. We're part of a team, so myself and Richard, we tend to do the, the game realistic training, the ball work, the technical work, etc. But also, strength and conditioning is a huge part of um, a player's development. And we, part of the team, is a world class Dutch strength and conditioning coach called Ronnie Chowie. He's been training Stephen for a long time now, as well as other big Dutch players. And um, when Stephen joined Spurs, obviously, he put two and two together, Ronnie came over to train Stephen in London, um, which we were a part of, which was great. Um, I myself can't claim to have coached Stephen yet. It would have done by now, but obviously coronavirus put a delay to that. Um, But that will happen soon um, in pre-season when obviously uh, there's more time to work. So that will happen, which is fantastic. Um, And yet a fantastic player, fantastic pro. Um, He'll go on and do very big things. I, I truly believe that.
1: And we're all hoping he'll be at Tottenham, fingers crossed. He won't need to yeah. leave us to do those.
2: <laughs> I just want to ask you about some of the younger players at Tottenham that maybe have signed scholarship terms this year that you've worked with. Okay. So like, you know, Could you let us know about some of the players coming in and what they're like?
3: Yeah, of course. I'm often quite reluctant to speak too much about young players um, straight away because I don't want to give them too much of a profile. But to be honest, um, they're kind of getting ahead of themselves anyway now. Um, so, so, yeah, there's a few players that I've worked with uh, for a while. So, Rashawn Mathurin. Is a really really creative um, player, superb dribbler. Um, yeah, he, he's got a lot of talent. Alfie Dorrington, I've uh, I've done work with Alfie for about three years now. Centre back. Um, he's representing. He, re- he was captain of England um, under 16s on his debut. Um, so or under 15s or whatever it was. Sorry. And uh, he's a he's a phenomenal talent. So no, there's some really good young players coming through um, that I've lucky enough to been working with. Um, yeah, yeah. No, some some good players.
1: Well, that's good to hear. Like I say, the youth, we, we love seeing the youth come through. So, just to kind of finish up, chaps, we'll get some predictions ahead of this one. Harry, let's go to you then. Prediction, what are you going for, Bournemouth?
3: Uh, I will go with 3-1 Spurs.
1: 3-1 Spurs. Are we going to get back-to-back victories for the first time since the Inforce break? Leon, I think you said you are predicting a win. By what scoreline?
4: I'm going one nil, Ricky. I'm going oh, to go for that one
1: save. This is the <laughs> this is the new Spurs, at least till the end of the season. The new one 0 <laughs> Tottenham. God, if I ever I thought I was going to see that, dear oh dear. One nil Tottenham, <laughs> we take it. Listen, victory is a victory. John, what are you going for?
2: I'm going two one Tottenham.
1: Two one Tottenham. Okay. Three four house. Oh, four, Well, I've got four house. I'm going to go for three one Spurs. I do think. Listen, if we can't beat Bournemouth. We've got big problems, but then I don't know what I'm teeing this up for for the next show. God, Arsenal, no pressure. (laughs) Before we finish up, chaps, just a final couple of listener questions that we've got here. So let's go to, I'm going to go to you, Leon. This is from Cookie at Cookie8boy8. He says, do you feel that our players believe the season is over with our position on the table and points gap to the Champions League as the driving factor for the lack of the intensity? What do you think?
4: It might be a bit of that now because you know I do think Champions League is going to be very difficult uh, for us to, to to get our hands on, even if um, you know the Man City stuff means fifth is, is up for grabs. But um, a little bit, I mean, are, are they going to be desperate to play in the Europa League next year? I don't know. I mean, certainly from a commercial point of view, if we get the if we get back to normal and we get fans back in the ground, it will be important that we do have that, that, uh, the Europa League games and obviously the, the, the sort of commercial benefits that bring but from a professional point of view if you've just reached the Champions League um, and you know you sort of thinking, you know, oh you know what we could just put together a good run keep out of Europe keep ourselves fit and, and try and push on for the next season in the league that might be a better option for them so there might be a bit of that but I like to think that professionals are paid enough money to go out there and do the job go for the win uh, and, and try their best to, um, to, to, to get us as, as high up the table as we possibly can
1: well, Brock Soccer will actually asked that question, you know, do we want Spurs to finish in the European places? I think for the club, they, they need to finish in Europe, really. We've, you look at the stadium in terms of the commercial value to that and what that needs at the moment. Obviously, we've lost a lot of concerts to come over the summer. Obviously, at the boxing, that's no longer going to happen at the moment. So I think European football, whether it's Champions League or Europa League, I think that will benefit the club. And again, you look at Mourinho's record, pedigree with trophies, I think for him, he'd want to be, if there's an option to either be in the Europa League or not, I think he might want to be. It's an opportunity that we could win a trophy. We keep saying this is what we brought the man in for, to win trophies. So, talking about trophies, another question. We'll ask this one to both John and Harry. This is from Coswential Londoner, at S underscore Londoner, who says, will we win two or three trophies next season? God, at least he's not getting too ambitious. Harry, what do you reckon? a trophies on the horizon next season? Two or three? I'm
3: <laughs> uh, oh no, Let's go for one. Let's one. go for one. Let's, yeah, we haven't won one for a while now, so let's not be a bit too uh, ambitious to start with. Let's be a bit more realistic. So, what one we'll do next season. <laughs> Listen,
1: the boys know me in the WhatsApp group. I talk about beggars. Beggars can't be choosers. On our yeah. position, you take the one. John, would you take the yeah. one next season not be too greedy?
2: I would take one all day, mate. We've won two in my entire lifetime. So, that would be absolutely unreal if we won one. The issue we've got is people think it's really easy to win trophies. It's not. Manchester City absolutely love the Carabao Cups. So you can basically rule that one out straight away. Yeah. And if we keep selecting Michel or offering him new contracts, and you know we're going to keep going out of the FA Cup. So hopefully with him going next summer, with his contract finally coming to an end, as long as we don't bring him back, we may do the FA Cup. Let's wait and see.
1: And just for clear clarification, when I say a trophy, that does not count as the fair play trophy which Jose Muno was on about. Just to make that very, very clear, we do not want the fair play trophy. We actually want... A trophy of some aspect. Hopefully Champions League or Premier League. No pressure, Jose Daniel. Try and make it happen. Been an absolute pleasure to have John from Lee White Rose back on the show. John, thank you so much.
2: Cheers, Ricky. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking with you, Harry and Leon tonight. Been good to get some different insights and opinions on stuff at Tottenham. So, yeah, been great to be on and roll on Thursday. And uh, to our listeners... Keep the faith. Come on, you squares.
1: Yeah, keep the faith. Please keep the faith. We are still here for you every single week, every single show, bringing you all things Tottenham. Harry, been an absolute pleasure having you on. What a cracking debut and I hope we'll get the chance to do it again soon.
3: I oh, appreciate it, mate. Thank you for having me on. I had a really good time. Um, no, cheers, guys. Thank you.
1: Oh, been a pleasure. Leon. More of the same, great debut. And listen, we'll get you back on, fingers crossed, next season when um, we're going to get back to some normality and hopefully an improvement in results.
4: I very much hope so. Thanks for having me on. Great chatting with you and uh, the rest of the chaps. Thanks a lot.
1: Oh, brilliant. Well, listen, we are back after the game against Bournemouth. As always, keep the faith
0: and come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network.